Now, what would be the odds that that was happening again, that that wasn't a new report? Was that a new report or an old report? That's what I'm asking. Is it a new report or an old report? Is that a new report? Well, we don't know. When a seasoned sports fan teams up with a millennial, opinions may vary, but the debates assuredly won't disappoint. Check your sources. It's New Report, Old Report. Here's your hosts, John Lund and Al Renato. Well, Al, another exciting week in athletics. We have reached the NBA Finals. Two teams remain to hoist the trophy and claim number one status in the National Basketball Association. We've got Major League Baseball heating up. The Softball Women's World Series is in full swing. College basketball is back. Oklahoma Sooners trying to claim themselves as the best team in sports. Forget about softball. The best team in sports currently with the way that they're playing. And obviously the field of 64 trying to make their way into Omaha and have some excitement on the college diamonds as well. And nothing circles the wagons quite like the National Football League. But this past week, the big news was on the links. Very interesting of the match won by the two old savvy veterans in the NFL, Aaron Rodgers and one Tom Brady, of course, the best golfers crowned in the NFL as well. But we obviously have to start with the NBA Finals. We record this show on Thursday night, which means we're recording it in the middle of game one of said series. Golden State has taken the control of game one as of now as the home team, and they hope to take control of the series as a whole. To start with it, We've talked about it on the show, about the upsets, if you will, for some teams, the others that we expected to be here. We've got Celtics. We've got Warriors. We've got some history amongst those teams in championship games, but not since back in your young days. (laughs) The old report coming to play here for the history amongst these two franchises Did we expect this or should we be surprised that these two teams ended up here playing for the NBA finals, that being Golden State and the Boston Celtics? Or in a way, is this maybe somewhat surprising that they were able to make it to the promised land here playing for an NBA championship? Well, Johnny, always great to be with you and back with our fans and friends. And from a historical perspective, it was a very, very young Old report. Very. That was 1964. Uh, it was uh, Will Chamberlain, who was then with the San Francisco Warriors after they moved, okay, uh, from Philadelphia. Uh, excuse me. Yeah, from from, uh, from Philadelphia. And they lost in five games to, of course, the Boston Celtics and Bill Russell. Then Wilt got traded. Uh, to the Philadelphia 76ers, who replaced the Syracuse Nats in the National Basketball Association because Wilt started his career as a Philadelphia Warrior. Then the Warriors moved to San Francisco. Wilt gets traded back 
to the city of Philadelphia to the now 76er franchise, which was the Syracuse Nets. So they played that one time in 1964. Uh, Celtics won in five. Uh, Russell. Could you won. imagine that in p- present day, by the way, not to cut you off, but just Wilt's journey by himself, the type of player he was, switching leagues, switching teams, getting traded. Imagine that now. The the well, screaming at the debates table of sports media in the mornings about teams getting rid of him, if he should switch leagues. It would be incredible. Because way, way, way back, the NBA draft was a territorial draft. So Wilt was from Overbrook High in Philadelphia. And that's how he wound up being drafted by the Sixers out of Kansas uh, after a, a year at Kansas, played for the Trotters, wound up with the then Philadelphia Warriors. Then they moved to San Francisco and then he got traded back to Philadelphia. Then from there uh, to the Lakers uh, where he finished his career. Um, look, at the very beginning of this, we knew that the Celtics had a chance to go to the NBA Finals. Uh, I thought that Milwaukee would repeat, but Milwaukee lost Middleton, who was you know their second best scorer. And to the Celtics' credit, they took advantage. They were the better team. They beat them in seven. And you know, I thought the Celtics were the second best team in the East. They turned out to be the best in the East. We talked last week about the, the Heat series. And somehow, some way, astonishingly to me, when I thought the Heat were you know, dead man walking, they somehow, some way went into Boston and won a game six between another absolutely heroic effort, a brilliant effort, an all time NBA playoff performance by Jimmy Butler 47 points. And a game that they led most of the way and then looked like they were ready to buckle. Celtics took the lead and then the Heat took it back. And somehow, some way, managed to get it to a game seven. And I thought the Celtics would win game seven. They were ahead the whole way. They were in control. A depleted Heat roster. Butler, again, was terrific. Didn't have a lot of help. And it looked like the game was all but over. And then Boston collapses in the last three minutes. A 13 point lead turns into two. Uh, what did you think of the Jimmy Butler pull up? walk into a three for their first lead of the game that was a little short. Go to the basket against Horford, take the three, wait, penetrate, and dish. What'd you think? Well, I absolutely loved it. I stood up when he shot it, and I had no interest in whoever wins. I mean, I was pulling for the heat as Lakers fans. We obviously can't root for the Celtics. And just in the moment of the comeback they were making, the situation like that's a historic shot. If that goes in, it's a historic moment that you're watching happen. I stood up. I was so excited that he actually pulled it because he gets to a point in a comeback where you're going to have to make the risky play. And some teams, it becomes the detriment where they shoot a little bit too fast on an open three, maybe, or even a contested one or somebody that's had the hot hand, does the third three in a row to see if they're hot, you know, that type of shot, and it doesn't go. I loved it in the moment. I know watching the replay, Al Horford was kind of on his heels, and it looked like the defense was far enough away surrounding the play where he might have been able to drive to the basket, and if he got around Horford, it would have been good. No other contest. 
He made a shot like that earlier in the game. Same Similar spot. spot. Yep. Same spot, first half. I know he's not the guy that you would put at the three-point line if you need one for your life. But based on how that game was going, you almost got the sense like they have to win this now. They're tired. Jimmy's been carrying them in a sense. He's been playing great that game. He's your best guy at the moment. He's your best guy overall. I mean, I don't. I didn't hate it at all. If it goes in, we're obviously singing a different tune, and it's one of the best shots that you'll see in an NBA postseason. But just the situation on if he makes it, you're up one. If he misses, it's not the end of the world because it's still a close enough game. If he drives to the basket and scores and you tie it, well, now you've still got to get a stop or you're going to lose because odds are the Celtics are going to wait for close to a last shot. You want to give yourself enough time maybe to get a rebound and play that game, foul, etc. But if you had to write it down on paper and hand it out as a test, what scenario you'd prefer? I loved it in the moment. And if he had made it, what a moment it would have been. I think that's something that if you're a Heat fan, you, you're okay to live with that. Your best player had the best shot. He had confidence in it. He had made one before. In the moment of, if we go to overtime, I don't think we're going to have enough gas to be able to play another five minutes and win this thing. Let's go for the throat now. And that's exactly what he did. He just happened to miss it, and Boston got the rebound, of course, and the rest is history. But I loved it in the moment, and then you still had a chance. I mean, before that, they chuck up a three, this desperation shot that cuts it to one, I believe, or two. That shouldn't have went in in the first place. That was another Hail Mary the, type of the shot. Mac, the Max Struess jumper. Just throws it up there, and it goes. To cut it to two, when that went in, that's when I stood up. I was like, you got to be bad. Yeah, at that point, what the hell? Shoot, and, shoot and that's a three when I, again. That's when I texted our good friend, Mike Meltzer. This could be the biggest, this would be the biggest joke job in, in NBA playoff history because your Marcus Smart is throwing up threes, which I couldn't understand when there was time on the shot clock. You know, what's the reason to keep throwing up you know, and wide open? Dribble in a few play. Take a few, take three steps. Right. Use some penetration, maybe get fouled, you know, take an 18 footer. But Marcus loves the threes and he put up two or three of them. He also put up one in the lane that was way off, off the glass. Uh, you know, Jalen Green had the offensive foul. They got sloppy on defense. And, you know, Miami, to their credit, just kept battling and just kept battling. And lo and behold, you know, after, after the Struce three, there it is, you know, another miss, and here's Butler patrolling down court, and I could not agree with you more, and here's why. You said, let's start from the basic premise. The better team is the Heat, or is Boston. Yeah. Clearly. They were the better team, pretty much the lion's share of the series. They were the better team that whole game. If you're going to win this game, now is your chance to do it. Now is your chance to steal the game and steal the series. If you don't take the shot, you try and go by him, draw the foul, whatever the case may be, and you wind up with either two free throws or a bucket, they still have a chance to win the game, which means you still have to stop them. And then if you do that, then you have to win the game in overtime. So there are like three things that have to happen for you to win the game, okay, even if you get two points. 
one thing's got to happen for you to win the game if you make the shot. And even if they score to take the lead back, you still have a chance. So to me, it was not only the right play, it was the only play. He walked into it. He was wide, wide, wide open. As we said earlier, it's the same exact shot he made in the first half when the defense was closer to him. And it wasn't a kill shot because there was plenty of time left, but it's a chance to take the lead and make them score again. Absolutely, positively. And and it's not like he's got this slew of shooters with him either, as we know. Nothing really resembling an offensive juggernaut. They struggle to score. This is your best player who's been terrific all night. He's got a wide open look. He's walking right into it. Turn it loose. I had no problem with it whatsoever. I thought it was the right play. And if that was, and if that's LeBron James, I don't want him shooting the three. Right. I want Le, I want LeBron James powering to the basket and dunking in whoever's face. All right, and maybe getting a three point play out of him. But the way Butler was playing, and the way he's been shooting the ball, I had no problem with that shot. And again, it wasn't a step back three. It wasn't a three off the dribble. It wasn't a three off the screen. He walked right into it, and it was towed up right against the line. So I had no problem with the shot whatsoever. And again, considering all the circumstances, if they go to overtime, I don't think they're winning. I don't want five more minutes. <laughs> I want the game to be a short. Needed spot. a D. That's enough. A, <laughs> this is the shot. I got a chance to get the lead and steal the game and steal the series against the better team. I got to take it. He had the Absolutely hip move. Bad. He got down in that position he does when he shoots that three, like the sharpshooter. If it went down, he would have had the celebration ready to go to. Ah, uh, we missed out on it. It was in that stadium. The place would have fell to the ground. It would have been unbelievable. Alas, but I loved it. Absolutely I agree with right. You. So that puts the Celtics where we thought they'd have a, ch- they'd have a chance to be. Uh, you know, we like them in Milwaukee as the two best teams in the East. Milwaukee was clearly, uh, you know, not, not a full strength without Middleton, and they wore down Giannis with their their defense and their numbers. So uh, you know, the Celts prevailed to their credit. They beat a two man isolation team uh, in the Nets. Uh, they beat a defending champ who wasn't in full strength, but that's the way it goes. We know how much a part of the playoffs, especially in the last couple of years, injuries have played. And you know, they, they beat a Heat team that they were better than and also didn't have Tyler Hero, who's already bitching about the fact that he wants to start. Uh, so he'll probably get called into uh, the Godfather's office <laughs> shortly and say, you're going to get a chance to start in Utah. Uh, <laughs> but the point is they weren't at full strength. And it, regardless, Celtics better team uh, clearly – where they should be. They deserve to be here. And as for Golden State, look, a couple months ago, I did not think that Golden State had a chance to, to win the West. I thought the two best teams in the West were Phoenix and a distant second was Memphis. I thought they were the only two teams that had a chance to go to the finals. Uh, I was dead wrong. Phoenix, to me, is still the shocker. I thought they would waltz to the finals. But Golden State has been very good. They've been sound. Other than the embarrassment in the one game against Memphis when, you know, I guess it happens, but that's as embarrassing a performance as they've had in this run. I'd say the most embarrassing performance. 
they've had in this run uh, since 2015 when they lost by they were down by over 50. I guess they lost by what 37 or something like that. But the point is, they've been very sound for the most part in this postseason. And uh, I, I don't I still know if they're the best team because I don't know what happened to Phoenix. I thought Phoenix was clearly the best team in the West, and they just disintegrated, absolutely positively disintegrated against the Mavericks, embarrassing, incredibly disappointing. And I think the Phoenix season is, say whatever you want about everybody loves Monty Williams, and he's a wonderful guy, and the tragedy he went through, CP3, he's the Hall of Famer, the point God, I call him the point Claude. But the point is, yeah, they were the best team all year long during the regular season, no doubt. Their season's a bust as far as I'm concerned. They went to the NBA Finals last year, had a 2-0 lead and lost four straight. They didn't even make it back to the conference finals this year after they had another 2-0 lead. And they had the worst embarrassment in NBA history of game sevens at home. When they were outscored, was, did Doncic outscore them or was it a push? Was it 37 Luka, 37 them at the half? Or did he actually score more points than they did in the first half? Regardless, a total and complete embarrassment, obliteration, uh, and in my mind, turned their season into an utter and complete disappointment, which puts Golden State in the catbird seat. With home court, Golden State has played like the best team in the West. So these are the two best teams. They've played like the two best teams from the beginning of the playoffs to where we are now. It's weird in a way because – it almost feels like you have to talk yourself into these are the two best teams. These teams deserve to be here because we have Milwaukee in the back of our minds with Chris Middleton getting hurt. We have the Suns in the back of our minds blowing last year, blowing it again well, the this thing, year. The thing, the, thing that, the thing that is makes it confounding is we can see what happened with Milwaukee. No Middleton. They're a little nicked up. Giannis out of gas. Uh, the Celtics strength in numbers kind of warmed down, not having Middleton really hurt. The Phoenix scenario is just it's confounding, at least to me. I still can't figure it out. I, I, it was just such a collapse that was beyond anything I could have imagined. And topped off by the fact that not only did they lose, but how they lost, it was just a total and complete meltdown. They disintegrated before our very eyes. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. I don't know if people are going to bring it up because you don't often remember the teams that lost along the way for these sorts of things, especially after enough years go by. You just sort of look at who ended up in the NBA Finals, how that series went. It's harder for fans to remember how both teams got to those points. Like, for example, I don't know if you've heard this take about where we would need to put Jason Tatum and these Boston Celtics should they win the NBA Finals based on the teams that the Celtics have gotten through and the players on said teams 
in route to getting to the NBA Finals and then winning the NBA Finals over this Golden State Warriors team with Steph, Clay, and Draymond. Because they obviously had to get through Giannis Antetokounmpo. Not an easy task. They sweep Kevin Durant, Kyrie Irving, and the Brooklyn Nets. So folks look at that resume, see the people that they've beaten, such as Jimmy Butler, the Miami Heat, a team that got to the finals in the, bu- in the bubble, and say, where would this rank should the Celtics win the NBA Finals? Look who they beat. But if you just look at those names, you're not going to see Chris Middleton didn't play. You're not going to see who was hurt for the Heat. Jimmy Butler not playing half the series and it going to seven games and that contributing to them getting to these NBA Finals. And then obviously who knows what would happen with the Golden State Warriors, you would assume a travesty would have to happen. One of the top three guys would have to go down. But the same thing you could argue for the Nets, where the guy they brought in or hoped to bring in to help them get to the finals, Ben Simmons, didn't see the court, didn't want to play. So all no, that no. contributes to it, and you're not going to see that in the end result on the resume when all is said and done, necessarily. That is basically the moronic take that I heard from one other, none other than, of course, uh, Perk, all right, uh, the former Celtic who was on the Celtics championship team, uh, Roger, Roger Perkins, uh, who said that if Jason Tatum and the Celtics win this title, Jason Tatum is taking on one of the great playoff runs of all time, you know, because they beat a, a hideous net team, which you know, relies on nothing but isolation. They beat a banged up Milwaukee team without Middleton and they beat the heat uh, who don't have basically a second scorer with their quad, their second score, Tyler hero out for pretty much the entire series. So I thought that was just a complete buffoonery, but you know, it's Perkins. So I expect nothing less from him because some of the stuff that comes out of his mouth is downright comical and idiotic. That notion that it's one of the great playoff runs of all time is you know, a, a bit over the top. And of course, that's coming from a former Celtic. So, you know, I I'm, I'm, wouldn't be surprised if that's Bill Simmons' take as well. Uh, you know, they love to climb aboard. And anytime the Celtics you know, have a little bit of success, you know, it's the next great run in the history of the sport. So, I mean, well, they haven't won since 2008. So it's been a while. So they have to bask in it. But, you know, part of, again, part of the run is taking advantage of your opponent's shortcomings. And everybody had one. Or some more than others. But remember, you know, the Heat were <laughs> the bottom of the barrel in terms of the seed. The Heat, the heat was the seventh seed. So they make it sound like, you know, they went through, you know, the seven blocks of granite to get here. Let, let's not overdo it. But everybody likes to do it, overdo it in the media, especially the ex-Celtics who you know, live to reign supreme about this legendary franchise that hasn't won a title in, in 12 years. But uh, it's been a nice run, absolutely. But they basically, you know, had better players than everybody they played. They were the two seed. So, you know, they were the better team with the better record with everyone except Miami. And Miami was all beat up without Hero with the Lowry on one leg. So, and we all thought that the Celtics were clearly the better team in that series. So, 
had they had they had to go through a tougher road? I guess arguably because they had to knock off the defending champs. So I'd say yes, and you know, Golden State didn't have to go through Phoenix. Uh, Phoenix's fault. You know, they got the Mavs instead, and you know, after a tough seven-game series of Phoenix, and they were clearly the better team. But this notion that this is Mount Everest that the Celtics are climbing as a two seed, I think, is a bit over the top. No pun intended. Continuing with talking points that got thrown out leading into this series. The word legacy, of course, has to get thrown around. Despite these guys not having their careers ended and over with for decades, when you should be talking about legacies, when careers are said and done and you could paint a big picture and kind of catch your breath and appreciate what a specific player has done for the sport compared to his peers, we've got to do it right away. As they're playing, before it happens, what happens if, what happens when? That's what sports media has turned into and sports debate. So the one that's getting thrown around for this particular series, no surprise, is Steph Curry's legacy. Why doesn't he have an NBA Finals MVP, Al, where does he stand in the echelon of greats with his championships because he doesn't have one? How much did Kevin Durant carry said Warriors to those two titles? Where was Stephen Curry en route to that? This gets brought up because you start talking just numbers. This, of course, would be number four for one Steph Curry should he win it which would tie him with none other than one LeBron James. So now they're going to get thrown into the same category of who's the goat just based off the one number of four, because that's what people do. I loved what Steve Kerr had to say. He was sitting down with the great Justin Termini and Eddie Johnson, JT, a friend of the former, the bridge sports podcast, which was before this one. He used to come on my show for whatever reason. <laughs> Great guy to have a drink with, too, after the office Christmas party in normal times when we used to do that. A lot of oh, fun stories. Those gruff treats here. Exactly. <laughs> after a couple drinks. I'm not talking about soccer. I'm handsome. I'm cool. I'm a ladies' man. I'm the only guy that's going to tell like it is. You know, if you want a piece of me, give JT a call. And I'm going to be here to take it. Let's go. I call my friend Ray Johnson all the time. After a couple of drinks, try trying to decipher that. So when presented with all the numbers, the all-star appearances, et cetera, was if you had told us when Steph Curry left Davidson, what he would do just up to this point. Got it. It's not even something that Hollywood could imagine. And especially early in his career when it seemed like his ankles were just going to break at a moment's notice and he wouldn't be able to play ever again. To do what he's done is historic in its own right. To say, though, that it's maybe not as worthy because he doesn't have an NBA Finals MVP, I just don't know how much weight to put into that. Now, one would argue that maybe he should have gotten it in 2015 instead of Andre Iguodala, but regardless of even that, you've watched the games, you've watched him play, He's not the sixth guy coming off the bench for these championships. He's contributed to all three. 
I guess, it, does this fourth one need the MVP to shut everybody up? Or should we not be talking at all and just shut up in general, the public as it is, wanting to know if his legacy will be tarnished if they win again this year or lose and he doesn't get that sought after NBA finals MVP? Well, if they win, his legacy is not tarnished if he doesn't get it. We should all shut up that he doesn't have it because, yeah, you like to put it in the pantheon of, you know, well, okay, he's got these many championships, he's all this, he's all that, uh, but he's never finals MVP. Let's go back to where you started. What he's done to this point is stunning. I never thought in my wildest dreams when he came out of Davidson that he would be this kind of pro, not even close. But the thing to me that has made him even more unbelievable and more accomplished as he climbs his list of all-time players, clearly now in, in the top 20 in my mind, people talk about top 10, I'm, not, I'm nowhere near that. But the point is, he has gotten so much better as a player. He is now truly a point guard. He runs this offense with magical ball handling, with penetration, with deft passing. He's become a wonderful point guard and, and a much better defender. What he's done is so outrageous in terms of what he's accomplished and how he's continued to work and get better and better and better and better, where he is now on the list of you know, all-time point guards and all-time players. So, you know, of course, if they win and it's his fourth title and he gets All-NBA, that's clearly the cherry on the Sunday. If they win and he doesn't win the finals MVP, who will? I don't know. Maybe it'll be Clay Thompson. Maybe somehow it would be uh, Draymond. But I would think logically, if they're going to win the series, that's because he's played well enough to win the MVP. And he's so important to them in terms of their entire offense. And I don't mean just scoring. They can win without him scoring a bundle of points because he's become such a good playmaker and put so much pressure on defenses to play him so far from the basket. And with his ball handling, his penetration ability, his passing abilities, uh, he sets guys up for layups, threes, jumpers you know, in the painted area, and all aspects of the game offensively. I would think, I don't know how he wouldn't be the MVP. <laughs> plain and simple because he would have for, the, for them to win he's played well whether it's and it doesn't just have to be scoring for them for them to win the series he will have played well and he could average 22 or 23 a game and they could still win the series if he's playing well because that means other people are scoring they're getting easy shots they're getting threes they're getting dunks uh so i think uh, it will be his crowning glory because if they win he's going to be the mvp in my mind, does he have to win an MVP? No. But would it raise him up, you know, a, a, another notch, so to speak? Uh, you know, another step on the plateau of greatness? Absolutely. Because, you know, when you get to that certain level, you start judging guys by you know, the honors, by the awards. And you start stacking up things like finals MVPs. How many did he win? 
Well, how come he doesn't have one? Yeah, he should have won in 2015, but the game would take a dollar because he had such a great, you know, great such such a great job defensively on LeBron, even though LeBron scored a ton of points. Uh, but it was considered, you know, he's guarding the superhuman and, you know, he did an excellent job. So he's our MVP. I, I don't consider it a mark. That's the thing. I don't consider it a mark against his career when you talk about what he's accomplished and say, well, he doesn't have a finals MVP. Uh, well, you know, he had Kevin, he had Kevin Durant on two of those teams. He won the MVPs. That's why I think it's silly to have that argument now because it's almost like there's no sense in arguing. Does he need an NBA finals MVP? If you're going to talk about something, I guess it's, should he win another NBA Finals? Because as you say, if they do that, you'd have to assume it's going to be him that wins the MVP. There's no more Kevin Durant. Clay Thompson is too streaky of a guy to where he's going to have enough games to warrant an MVP performance. He could drop you 34 one night, and the next night come out and do nothing, which is what he's been doing in game one. He hasn't been a factor. He's got 13 points. Great. Thanks for coming out. And people want to put this dude in the Hall of Fame because he could shoot without dribbling the basketball. Everybody and Al Horford, Al Horford just hit another three. He's got like Boston seven for seven from three this quarter. Seven, for, like I said, six. It's seven straight they've had. Seven for seven from three three point range, and none of them even hit the net. It, it's just ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. There's raining threes. Well, and it's chucked one up. It's too early. It's too early again to talk about Steph Curry and NBA Finals. Have him play in a couple more finals first. This isn't his last series of his career, and it's going to make or break what we say about him. Oh, if he doesn't win it now, that's it. He's going to retire. That's the way way everybody's talking about it. It's like, it's like this is it. That's the way we tend to do it. We, We tend to talk about it like, Everything is the end. It's now or never. When it comes to this series, we've already given our roses to Golden State and have them as the winner that we think will move on to win the NBA championship. But as we're talking, and as you've been mentioning, the Celtics haven't missed a three in the fourth quarter, seven for seven. Oh, they missed one. I'm on delay. I apologize, everyone. This is what happened. They finally missed one. They missed one. So they're shooting the cover off the ball to combine a baseball quote into a basketball one. And this is how you have to beat Golden State. It's no surprise. We know this. But there's going to have to come a game where you just get hot and they don't. Now, the interesting thing about game one is Steph was hot and they stayed with him. It wasn't him dropping 21 in the first and they're down 20. They're only down a handful of points. They go in halftime up. No problem. Look at us. Part of the stretch run has been shooting the lights out, including from three and everywhere else. It's their angel on the shoulder and devil on the shoulder, the Boston Celtics, because the games that they've lost and got blown out in, especially in the Eastern Conference Finals, were the games they couldn't shoot to save their lives. Some quarters, just complete nothingness from three. Right. But other games where they win in blowout fashion, they can't miss. And this is that run now is Al Horford. 
hit another bucket. It's 11-0 run. Al Horford has just gone on one of it's, it's ridiculous. Like, like he went to the fountain. The guy's 106 years old. And all of a sudden, like that game against Milwaukee, can't miss a shot. Can't miss a shot. Now, nobody's guard, nobody's ever guarding him on these shots. The, the space between him and the nearest defender is about five feet. But, uh, you know, Golden State is on the verge of dropping game one at home, their first loss at home in the playoffs. You know, a huge turnaround. Uh, you know, Boston was down 15 in the third quarter. Al Horford's got 23 points, six for eight from three. And Draymond Green just missed two free throws. This game's over. Looks absolutely over. And what I thought would happen is I thought they would run Boston into the ground, and just the opposite has happened. Just the opposite. Golden State looks tired. I thought they would run Al Horford and uh, the big guy, Williams, into the ground, and they would be gasketting up and down the court, and just the opposite is Golden State looks tired. And Jalen Green is the guy who put them on their shoulders uh, in the third quarter when they were on the verge of getting blown out, and he brought them back. Tatum's really done nothing. They've done this without really any contribution from Tatum. Even in this run, he's done nothing. It's been all Green, Horford, and White off the bench. Uh, who you know went through one hit and they got nothing in this run from uh, Marcus Smart either. He's been on the bench the whole time, so that bodes well for the Celtics and that they are getting it from other sources. They're not getting it from their best player, and they're still, it looks like they're going to win this game at a huge rally. Big, big, big turnaround. Look dead in the water. Three, four minutes to go in the third quarter, down 15. Golden State couldn't miss, and then Green's brought him back. I mean, on paper, this is one of the best scenarios you could ask for if you're the Celtics. Because as you said, Jason Tatum doesn't seem like he trusts his jumper at all tonight, which isn't great in game one of the NBA finals after he had such an incredible closeout to the heat, winning the the MVP of that series. He doesn't do it and you get it from your other guys. Meanwhile, Steph Curry shoots lights out, has his Steph Curry-esque game. Dropping close to 40. 37 made threes in this game. Just another reason why I say, I say the rules have to change. Have to minimize the number of threes taken in the game. Number of threes that count. As I said before, you got to figure something out. I don't care. You got to cap the number of threes. You got to eliminate the corner three. It's too close. You got to move the line out. I still like my idea of you get so many threes per quarter. And then after that, they're twos. But you, your, your threes are capped. You only get only a certain number of them count as, a th- count as threes per quarter. And then fourth quarter, all bets are off. I just can't, I can't stand. Comes another one from Marcus Smart, nothing but net. Most in a game in NBA Finals history for the combined three-porters tonight. And not to say that they're not deserved, but we've seen it happen where, to your point, you get into a game where these randoms just get hot off the bench and they can't miss, and it skews the end result where it's like, well, if X didn't have the best game of his life, we would have been fine. But, but he did. such was not to be. He did. Now, you can't go back in history, and whenever that happens, cross them out the list and say, well, we would have won if. That's not how it works, unfortunately, in sports. But it's frustrating sometimes as a fan, like this guy's getting hot. We'll never hear from him again. And now we're going to lose in the most important series of the season because of it. It's frustrating. But that's how the Boston that, Celtics have gotten a lot of their wins this year. Hot, that's exactly hot, right. hot. That's exactly right. They live and die from three. 
from 103-100 to 114-103. Crazy. In their building. Amazing. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. So when we convene next time, we'll have had three games played. Nice that they're giving these guys nights off in the NBA Finals instead of the other series where it seemed like they were playing every night. (laughs) What do you think it's looking like after three games? My prediction was Golden State in five, and I'm sticking with it. How about that? I've seen this happen before where a team has lost the first game at home and then uh, swept away the opponent when they were the better team. I think Golden State's the better team. And if Boston does this again, so be it. Good for them. But I just, uh, I'm sorry, this living and dying by the three, to me, that's just not an NBA champion. It's not what an NBA champion is supposed to be about, but that's what they're doing. Just nothing but threes. Nothing but the 17-0 run. 17 zippers. Marcus Smart just did a three. Nothing but that. A 17 nothing run. Golden State can't put in. And they're getting good shots. They can't make any. And Boston can't miss. So this is the proverbial game that wakes them up, if you will. I don't know what it is. Uh, I just think uh, you know they're going to have to make some adjustments to what they do defensively and, and, and make Boston beat them by driving, by driving and shooting. You know, the constant uh, you know, switching and leaving the open man to beat you, no matter who it is, make guys beat you at the basket and make, make guys, make guys make jump shots. And I don't mean three point shots, make guys shoot, make guys shoot 18 footers. The crazy thing for this game too, is I didn't listen long enough to get the exact stat, but JJ Redick was talking about, the closeout numbers for these teams, like in crunch time and how bad the Celtics have been in the final quarters in these closeout moments, if you will, there's a word for it and there's stats for it and how they've performed. Whereas golden state usually, especially at home flips that switch. They might be down by a couple baskets. You blink and they're doing this. They have runs like this before, you know what? They're up 10. Steph's got his mouth guard out, going to the free throw line to seal the game. He's doing his sleep gesture, and it's over. The roles completely reversed in game one. Pretty shocking. And again, without Jason Tatum doing much of any of it. You've got to be happy as hell as a Celtics fan tonight. Oh, yeah. Draymond Green, not even a factor. Uh, And Al Horford, again, killing him. White, killing him. Green, killing him. I mean, you expect Green's going to score. But Green really put them on their back in that third quarter when they were on the verge of falling out of the game. And then, you know, Horford and White just started going goofy. Nothing but threes. Laid on their switches. Uh, they They looked sloppy on defense. I mean, look at Horford, 26. Brown, 24. White, 21. Six for eight. Five for eight, four for seven from three. Tatum's only got 12 points. One for five from three. Bombs away. Well, this idiot had Warriors money line for game one. So sorry to the Golden State fans. My apologies. 
Clearly but you got, got your you got your push, correct? Because the they were up by more than ten in a game. So you get your money back. Thank you to DraftKings for that way to throw our money your way. Pick a team to win by money line. If they get up by more than ten, you get your bet back. I thought, why don't I take the Celtics? They're the underdog. They're plus money line. You get your money back if they go up ten. Keep your fingers crossed for that. And even if they lose, now they're blowing their ass out of the gym. And you would have won the money line bet. Of course. Fade accordingly, folks. We cannot tell you enough when you listen to this program. We're giving you money every week just by telling you what to do. Do the opposite, and you'll be fine. Quickly before we go, I mentioned the Women's College World Series is underway. Bullshit. The field of 64 is starting up for college baseball this weekend in the regionals and super regionals. Any interest in this early on in the college baseball part of it, but kind of in the heart of it, I guess, if you will, for the Women's College World Series, there's still a ways to go. They don't finish this out for another week or so, but is now when you start paying a little attention to it, or are you focused on Major League Baseball and just trying to keep that in track? Because that could get out of in this in, in the uh, old report household, we are on the women's softball all season long. We've been tracking Oklahoma. We've been watching the Oklahoma ladies uh, when they were undefeated. Uh, they finally lost the game you know, to Oklahoma State uh, at the end of a series towards the end of the year, uh, but or actually early in the year. And then I believe they lost in the uh, – I think they lost in the Big 12 tournament to Oklahoma State. They did. But Two uh, losses this year, Texas right. and Oklahoma State. Oklahoma both State. in the College World Series as well. Two, two, two arch rivals. They get a rematch this Saturday, uh, Texas-Oklahoma who are obviously both you know, in the softball world series, but they have been the juggernaut, the defending champs, all kinds of records. So yeah, we are all over uh, the, uh, the girls in the circle hitting bombs, all right, getting it done. Uh, and we get psyched for it. We love watching it. So we'll, we'll be, we'll be tuning into that uh, coming this weekend. Absolutely. And then obviously as we get ready to start the, uh, the, the, uh, Regionals, super regionals for the guys in the NCAA tournament. Love softball. It was my favorite sport to cover when I covered high school sports for the prestigious Wyoming County Press Examiner newspaper in Tunkhannock, Pennsylvania. I'm always fascinated by how fast everything happens, how close everybody is to the action, how fast they can react, and the speed of the game being in favor of somebody that would enjoy a quick performance. And Oklahoma, of course, 50-something wins and like 37 or 38 or 39 of them have been 10-run ruled. They want to get you out of there in the fourth. Have a good night. We are not even going to get to the seventh. Let's, let's go home. Did the same thing in their first game. They go down one nothing. first time trailing in the World Series in the postseason, promptly hit two grand slams in the third and the fourth and say, all right, that's enough of this, playing around. They waited till the third inning to get the viewership for ESPN and then said, that's enough of that. Let's turn it on against Northwestern. It, there's just so many fascinating aspects to softball from the way the pitchers attack to the way the hitters have unique ways of approaching the pitches coming in, slap hitters running up. It, it's unbelievable. The runner, the running up is... is they're running up, slapping it the other way. And you've got the, the girl waiting for you to bunt it, 
sitting two feet away from you while she's running up the batter's box ready to slap hit. You're playing for the bunt, and she's you could spit on her. She's so close. It's unbelievable. And you got it to be really good. Your leadoff hitter has to bat left-handed and have a ponytail. Yeah. And and fly. How about that? Fly. Fast as fly. hell. And then you got to have routine, your... Routine, routine, routine ground ball. Okay? And she beats it out to first base. Yeah. You need your power hitter, of course. And then, for whatever reason, behind the power hitter is still somebody that could rake. So you can't even walk the power hitter because the person coming up next is like, great, thanks for the free pass. Now there's, there's no a runner on for me. There's nowhere to hide against these lineups. You got bombers everywhere. It's incredible. And there are only being one or two or three pitchers on staffs. Most notably, there's usually just one great pitcher. Now there's teams that have two and three great pitchers. Who are we going to pitch? The way they switch the lineups out, it's incredible. And now the it's, it's the high stage. The one- the one thing that drives me nuts is that for some reason, and maybe it's just me, but no matter who is playing and no matter who is umpiring, the guy or gal behind the plate takes forever on called strikes. They do. They really do. I hope the that they off. say it. Is, is, is the, what's the deal? I mean, how long is that part of the nuance of being, you know, a, a a fast pitch umpire, you have to wait like three weeks to make the, the, the strike call. Get the arm up, man. Come on, let's go. You're not waiting for the robotic call to tell you if it was a strike or ball. You've got it. I hope that they're at least verbalizing it to the batter. It seems like that's the case because the batter usually doesn't react if it's a strike. So they must be saying it aloud. And then you got to wait an hour and a half watching it on TV to see if it's let's a strike. Pick it up. Come on. Let's pick it up, folks. And yeah. the passion that these girls have. I mean, everything is the energy exerted for everything. The enthusiasm, the energy, the smiles, the camaraderie. It's tremendous. Some of the plays they make in the outfield are amazing. I mean, these, these girls can really, really play. They're incredibly athletic. They are so good. It's, it's crazy how good they are. And for some of these analysts, like that we've had on Sirius XM and you hear across different platforms on TV and such for selection shows, how they're able to keep track on the baseball side of 64 baseball teams and know not just the main guy, but three or four dudes up and down the lineup and a handful of guys on the pitching staff for every team. I don't know how the hell they do it. I have a hard enough time keeping track of who the Yankees are putting in their starting lineup on any given day. And these guys know who's, one through nine on Coastal Carolina and Air Force and Missouri State in the field of 64. I don't know how it they do it. The, it is in the job description, I do believe. Though, it is. So. They are getting paid decent amount of money to know these things. I guess if that is your nine to five job, it would behoove you to pick up the lineup of Copland State and maybe know a couple of their players. Understandably so. Al, it's always a pleasure. We'll do it again next week. Folks, enjoy the NBA playoffs. Enjoy the College World Series on both fronts, guys and girls. Until next time, for my partner, the great John Tiny Lot, I'm Al Renato, a.k.a. from White Plains. This has been the one and the only new report, old report. Have a great sports weekend, everybody. We'll be back 8 p.m. Eastern time here on Sports Radio America. You can listen at sportsradioamerica.com and interact with the show there as well or find us on the TuneIn app by searching for Sports Radio America. You can also follow John Lund under the same handle on Twitter at London Bridge. Thanks again for listening. 